Well, hey everyone. Welcome to episode 167 of F-Stop Collaborate and Listen. This week's episode features a photographer that I have been following for many, many years, and I have had many interesting interactions with him over on social media over those years. Todd Cottle is perhaps one of the most well-known landscape photographers in Colorado and is the owner of his own publishing company, Skyline Press, a vehicle that Todd uses to publish photography calendars, books, and note cards. And I'm confident that if you are looking for someone to help you do the same, that Todd would help you out. Todd is an award-winning photographer who has explored countless miles of trails and backroads, primarily in our beloved home state of Colorado, seeking out landscapes as they are experiencing their most fleeting moments. Todd and I discussed some really interesting topics this week, including how Todd got his start as a photographer, what it was like to photograph superstar musicians, how he transitioned into landscape photography, how he got into the publishing business, what encourages and discourages him about the current state of photography, uh, mountain stretching and post-processing, and lessons learned from Todd's critique of my work back in 2011. Well, before we get started, I wanted to let you know about some new and exciting things happening over on Nature Photographers Network. NPN is now doing free webinars every two weeks for members, and you can sign up for a free 60-day trial membership to watch those. So far, they have had Cole Thompson, Alistair Ben, John Barkley, and many other amazing photographers for some compelling conversations and discussions, and they have a lot more coming. The webinars are focused on creativity and vision, which is what I really love about NPN. So if you're interested in learning more, just head over to the show notes and find a link to that free trial. I personally love being a member of NPN, and I think you will too. Okay, let's get to the show. Todd Cottle, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I have been a huge fan of yours for a very, very long time. Well, I question your judgment. <laughs> Most people do, so <laughs> you're, you're in good company. <laughs> uh, that's funny. Yeah, no, actually, it's, um, it's interesting. You know, I grew up in Colorado Springs, and I believe for a long time you were based out of Colorado Springs. Most of my life, in fact, yeah. Yeah, and you've got a lot of um, you've got a lot of work, uh, a lot of photography work, and a lot of my old haunts, which I think is why I was so quickly introduced to your work as a in young part of my career. Excellent. Yeah, yeah, I know, and we have a lot of mutual friends as well. Yes, we do. That's <laughs> one cool thing about the photography community and uh, social media. Yeah, what's interesting is that you and I have never actually had a conversation before today. I will dispute that. Because, I mean, like over voice. Well, you were doing a, a photo signing of some sort at Mountain Equipment Recyclers one time. Oh, wow. And I was there as well. So. Oh, I do kind of remember this we now. We have met in person and had a short conversation. Uh, I must have been so starstruck that I forgot. Uh Again, I question your judgment. <laughs> <laughs> well, awesome, Todd. Well, for maybe pe- for people that maybe aren't familiar with you like I am, tell us a little bit about yourself. 
All right. My name is Todd Cottle, and I am a non-recovering landscape photographer. I live in Golden, Colorado right now with my beautiful wife. We do as much uh, traveling and photography as possible and just enjoying life. I own a company called Skyline Press, which I basically started in 1992 as a means of no longer getting rejection letters from other publishing companies. <laughs> and hey, it worked. I've never sent myself a rejection letter, not <laughs> one single time. That's amazing. I know. I'm 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 a hundred percent acceptance rate for my own company. It's pretty cool. So with your with your company, what kind of stuff are you publishing? You know, I started out in '92 doing a calendar, a Colorado calendar. I'm a Colorado guy, and so that's where I started. And it didn't take too long to realize that I didn't need a product. I needed a product line. So I did the calendar. I added some books over the years, and it's just sort of self-perpetuated over the years. Uh, I do five calendar titles now, which gives me a great excuse to be out there photographing as much as possible because the photos aren't going to go out and take themselves. So it gives me the, it gives me a reason to be out as much as I possibly can. And now that I have a travel companion to do it with, it makes it all the better. Yeah. And congratulations on that. Thank you. On which? (laughs) (laughs) On your, on your recent marriage. Oh yeah. That's, that's the biggie for sure. It's uh, uh, almost a year next month. It'll be a year. So yeah, pretty excited. That's cool. Yeah. I'm a, what am I here? I'm like at 14 years married now. So awesome. Yeah. It's exciting. Well, cool, man. So how did you even get your start in photography to begin with? You know, I'm a landscape photographer primarily now, although I love all types of photography, but my road to landscape photography was not exactly what you'd expect. Some people might know this, but most don't, that I started by photographing concerts. I spent 10 years, well, actually 15 years photographing concerts. I used to sneak my camera into McNichols Arena in Denver I'd camp out at May DNF and and snag close seats in the first three rows or so. And back in the day when flared jeans were all the all the rage, I'd sneak a Canon AE one camera body and one sock and <laughs> a one thirty five f two eight lens in the other. And back in the day, they didn't really bother you if you took pictures once you got the camera in. It was pretty safe. I could pull the camera out and shoot entire shows. And that that allowed me to amass an early collection of photos. And that led to some freelance gigs for some magazines and eventually 10 years with the Gazette in Colorado Springs as a freelancer and a columnist. And so over the course of those 15 years, I shot about uh, something like 700 individual performances pretty much everybody who came through Colorado, big name artist types. And uh, uh, for some reason, the rat race of shooting the first three songs and dealing with uh, touchy road managers and all that sort of thing, just kind of, kind of weighed on me for a while. And I'd be at Red Rocks or Fiddler's Green looking at a beautiful sunset and going, you know, I'd kind of rather be out there. <laughs> and that kind of inspired me to 
concentrate more on the landscape photography. And eventually I just sort of shifted there and uh, started the publishing company and I've been going that way ever since. That's awesome. What was it like uh, doing a column and freelancing for a newspaper? It was fun. You know, I it's kind of a mixed bag because I don't really like a spotlight being on me in some ways, but in other ways I do. I want people to see my work. But when you're standing up in front of 18,000 people at McNichols Arena and there's probably several hundred people who know who you are. And it's like, there's that guy. I remember what he wrote about Motley Crue. I hate <laughs> that guy. You know, that sort of thing. You know, it's, it was, it's, it's, it's kind of a weird feeling to have that sort of feeling that people are looking at you doing it. Even if you, if you don't know, they are, you know, somebody's out there doing it. So it was, it was kind of bizarre, but it was really cool. You know, the, Concert photography was sort of like trophy hunting. You know, the bigger the star, the more fun it was to have them in the viewfinder taking their picture. It was really a lot of fun. And and I also learned that uh, having a camera around um, around girls at concerts was a lot of like having a puppy around concerts. They sort of were interested in it. So that was kind of a benefit for me, too. So <laughs> That's funny. So, I mean, if your chops were in the concert arena for so long and then you transitioned over into the landscape world, like what was that transition like for you? It was kind of sudden, you know, I'll actually say that when I was freelancing for the Gazette, one of the writers was doing a story on John Fielder and his writing of the book along the Colorado Trail. And I was listening to Fielder's numbers, how many calendars he sold back then in the early 90s, because he was one of the big guys doing it. And I just kept telling myself, you know, if I could do 10% of what he's doing, I might be able to make this work. And it, it was years later, not that many, but a few years later, that I kind of came to the conclusion, I don't know this for a fact, but I don't know if the numbers I heard that he was publishing at the time were accurate. I think they might have been lower. And if that were the case and I had known that, maybe I wouldn't have done this. Hmm. So I'm glad I was sort of in the dark about that. It's a different world now because, I mean, I don't think I could start a publishing company now and do what I've done. But because I started so long ago, it's almost like I'm grandfathered in. <laughs> well, I think there's absolutely some benefit to longevity, you know, like name recognition and and things of that. I mean, you've built up a mailing list, I'm sure, and customer yes. base. So I think that helps. I think developing those things now, it definitely takes a slightly different trajectory. My wife has firsthand experience with how many sweet little old ladies from all over the country call me directly and, and order calendars. It's, it's a fun aspect of my business. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. That's a, that's pretty unusual nowadays. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. So gosh, I mean, one of the things I remember early on in my photography career, we're talking 2010, 2011, 
is that whenever I'd want to go photograph a certain uh, kind of rare location here in Colorado, I would find either your name or Jack Brower's name attached to it. I'm curious, like how much time did you actually spend uh, accumulating your library of uh, images in here in Colorado? Like how long did that take? You know, I started heavily shooting landscapes only after I started doing the calendar because quite frankly, before I did the calendar, I had a postcard company approach me about using some of my images and I gathered some images for them. And I don't know, it was maybe two dozen images or something. And it was the first time I actually looked at my photos and said, you know, I might have something here. (laughs) And so that sort of inspired me to build on that. And incidentally, that postcard company saw my images and didn't use a signal, single one. <laughs> so that that tells you why I started my company. <laughs> but uh, so I just started amassing photos over time. You know, doing a freelance gig allows you a lot of time to go explore and do things. And I'm also an, an incredible map junkie. Mm. It's a lot easier now with the internet and Google Earth and all that sort of thing. But back in the day, I had three stacks of seven and a half minute USGS quad maps under my bed. One stack for northern Colorado, one stack for central, one stack for southern Colorado, and then a few odds and ends from other states. And I would lay in bed studying maps and thinking about the way the light would fall on the landscape. And I go... I have to go see this place. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, that man. sort of got me to really develop a relationship with the, with the state of Colorado and its geology and its geography. And that made it possible to go out and get images that would be successful. You know, if you're going to do a wall calendar, you want to have images that someone wants to look at for an entire month. And so it, it really helped me get images for that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. I was curious if I, I'm going to give you my answer to this question first, but I want to okay. hear what uh, what your answer is after mine. Do you, so? Do you have a favorite USGS uh, quadrangle? Mine is uh, the Storm Mountain quadrangle. <laughs> That's mine too. <laughs> Storm King Mountain. Yeah, Storm King Mountain. Yeah, Storm yeah. King Mountain. That has. Actually, that one and I believe Handy's Peak uh-huh. uh, has a lot of those great 13,000-foot peaks in the San Juans. That, and a lot of them uh, people don't even think about, so they're so concentrated on the 14ers and whatnot. But, yeah, Storm King Peak and, oh, my God, all that Peak 1, Peak 2, all that stuff. I love it. Yeah, it's, Same it's amazing. Yeah, it's funny. When I was growing up, my dad was really into mountain climbing. And he was also really into collecting maps. <laughs> oh, nice! And and he he had you know this is back in the seventies and eighties, but he had I guess, I guess they sold a um, a map of Colorado that had like a semi transparent overlay um, layer of it that showed like where the quadrangles were. Okay. Um, in all of Colorado, and like the little tiny name of them, it was a pretty big map of Colorado with all these. Yeah. And he would use like a highlighter for which quadrangles he owned on this map. And then he had it hung up on a cork board. 
And then on each quadrangle, he had a blue pin and a red pin for the location of all the 13ers and 14ers that were in the highest hundred of Colorado. Nice. And then he would he would paint um, using whiteout on top of the pin after he finished climbing that mountain. <laughs> it was He's pretty more cool. of a junkie than I am. Yeah, and so I kind of inherited that just, you know, you know, living in the same house and going on all these trips with him, I kind of inherited the same, uh, I don't know, obsession for topo maps also. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And I'm sure that also led to your obsession with climbing because you've done the highest hundred, correct? Yeah. Have you done the highest 200? Uh, I haven't done the bicentennials. Okay. But yeah, just the, just the highest hundred. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Just. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, is that all? Jeez, man. (laughs) Keep working at it. (laughs) I know. No, it's cool, man. Uh, One of my absolutely favorite photos that you've taken is one that I would like to go try to get a similar image of, and that's um, of Jagged Mountain reflected in, um, what is that? Uh, uh, I guess that would be Sunlight uh, Lake. It's actually not Sunlight Lake. Uh, Sunlight Lake is about 500 feet below, and there's another lake above it. Okay, good to know. the base of uh, Sunlight and Wyndham. And and Wyndham, yeah, okay. I've seen it from above. Okay. Well, and I'll tell you, you like that shot, but... What what I would say is anything I can do, Jack Brower, our mutual online friend at least, will do better because he has images from the same place with these beautiful breaking clouds and all this stuff. I I mean, I see his photos of areas I've been and I just go, oh, man, I, know, <laughs> I just want to sell my gear, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I, know I feel the same way a lot of the time. That's yeah, I think I think if... Uh, David Munch and Jack Dykinga had a baby. His name would be Jack. <laughs> That's hilarious. Well, I think Jack listens to the show, so cool. Um, hopefully, he got a little chuckle out of that. Um, well, so I want to hear your thoughts on kind of the state of of the industry today. I'm curious, kind of kind of a two part question, but what encourages you and what discourages you about the current photo industry? Well, let, let's start with the the gear that makes this all possible. You know, I used to work in a camera store, and I remember when they started talking about lenses that focused automatically. And, I'm, you know, I was a film guy. I'm like, wait a minute. You don't even have to focus the lens? Really? I would never own one of those cameras. And then they started talking about, digital photography and i'm like wait a minute you don't actually have a physical piece of film with the image on it i would never own one of those cameras that's <laughs> crazy you know uh, but you know as as you get familiar with the technology and you see what these things can do i'm just i am a digital photography disciple i love what the industry has come up with and i love the advances in technology and things we're able to do now. And, uh, you know, this is going to sound sacrilegious to some people, but I've, I've said for quite a while now that I think photography today with the tools we have today is more akin to what Ansel Adams was doing than anything I did before digital, because when Adams was in the field, he was looking at a scene, he was assessing the scene 
And he knew what he was going to do with it after he left the scene. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times now when we're out, I you probably do this too. You look at a scene and you know what you want to do with it when you get back to the digital dark room. You know, it, whether it's a focus stack or a pano merge, or you know you're going to be able to bring out some shadows or bring down some highlights or whatever the case may be, whatever your personal vision is for the image. Uh, if if you have that out in the field, like Ansel Adams did with his development times and uh, whatever color of gelatin filter and all that sort of thing, you know, that's what we're doing now. And so for that reason, I think it's more akin to what Ansel Adams did than anything I did when I was shooting film. Hmm. So I think that's really cool. Um, the yeah, other, I agree. The other good, the positive aspect of photography today, I think, is that you have the ability to find people that you never would have known without the digital world. I never would have known about you. I never would have known about Jack. I wouldn't wouldn't have known about so many photographers that I have huge respect for and that I aspire to be like. You know, because personally in photography, I never want to feel like I know it all. I'm as advanced as I can ever be. And I don't need to learn anything new. I always want to be seeking new information and techniques and that sort of thing. And the internet allows you to discover things that you never would have, and and photographers that you never would have known existed if the internet didn't exist. Yeah, it's, uh, it's funny. The internet has made the world a lot bigger, but also a lot smaller. Like you can have these communities of people that we would have never gotten to know if it weren't for the internet, which is really awesome. Yeah, totally agree. Now the, the, I think the negative aspects of what's going on today. um, Now I'm a still photographer and I wish that today's digital cameras had no video function whatsoever. I, I know I know it's an interesting discipline and I know a lot of people use it. I don't really use it. Um, And I'm more interested in the singular image. I'm interested in capturing that brief moment in time that you capture on a, on a single frame or, you know, in the case of panos or focus deck or whatever in, in a series of images, but, but you're, you're recording that moment for something that's that fits in a frame, a frame in your mind, a frame on your wall, a frame in a, a book or a calendar or whatever. And so the video aspect of it, I, I don't really, what I'm really worried about is that advancements in the technology, if we're not there already, we will be to a place very soon where someone can run video on their camera and snatch still frames out of that video that will be basically the same quality as what you can get when just shooting still photography. And I think that's going to create lazy photographers who do nothing but pick out still frames once they're done in the field and back at their digital dark room and, and all that. And, and that, that troubles me a little. It's, it's, it's the same reason that I don't own a lightning trigger. You know, 
I want to be the one taking the picture if I capture lightning. I don't want a device to be tripping the shutter. I don't want to run video and select a frame here and select a frame there sort of thing. So that's that's a part of the modern part of photography that I don't that doesn't excite me too much. Mm, that's interesting. I feel like that viewpoint comes with years of experience I'm old. I'm that old. yeah, but I'm also not just that though. I don't mean that you're old. I think it's um I you know, it's like when we get really obsessed about a craft and the nuance of that craft. Yes. And then the craft piece of it gets kind of slowly eroded around the edges over time, whether it be by technology or, and I'm sure this happens in every industry. Like think of a shoemaker back in the day before we had, you know, factory lines and, and things of that nature. Like it was a craft to make a pair of shoes. Right. Well, Um, yeah. And there, there's a perfect analogy. Uh, the still photographer is the shoemaker and the videographer snagging photos off the assembly line. They're two different things, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think the problem, well, I don't know if it's a problem, but the reality is that the lay public who doesn't, is not a part of that craft cannot really, nor do they care to see the difference between the two because, Hey, it's a shoe and it fits and it right. provides a function to me. Um, yeah, it's interesting. I find some of those same thought processes can be applied to all sorts of other aspects of kind of, you know, the recent trends in digital photography, whether that be, you know, people that manipulate their images into being something they're not, or, you know, swapping skies or things of that nature. Well, yeah. And so along those lines, and back to your question about uh, what's good about current technology and what's what's the negatives about it? I do think that a lot of people are chasing clicks online. Um, I don't post a lot of photos online, and you know it's kind of seductive to have people click a like on your photo. I understand that, but I also want to offer something to actually hang on the wall and not something as uh, transitory as just an image on online and you see a billion of them and you you don't remember any of them at the end of the day. Um, and as far as what people are doing to their images now, you know, some people want to describe their photography as something very important and life altering and that sort of thing, which in many cases, it can be. I don't take myself quite that seriously. I just want to take pretty pictures. You know, <laughs> I want I want to make people feel good when they look at my images. Now, what I do to my images, everybody does some manip- manipulation after the fact, whether it's contrast or a little color or or whatever. Uh, I believe there is there are a lot of phot- photographers out there in the world who take it farther than I personally would. Who am I necessarily to say whether that's a good thing or a bad thing? They can do whatever they want, 
and I can look at it and say, I think they went too far or whatever, but who really cares what I have to say about that particular thing? It's their art, that sort of thing. The, the big thing that sets me off though, and it's especially when it's done with images of Colorado, because I love my home state. I love my maps and I love the way the landscape works and all that. I can't stand when people take a landscape, a mountain range or whatever, and I know the way it looks in real life and they stretch the vertical to make the mountains more pointy than they actually are. Uh-huh. And it just drives me crazy. I'm, I'm real protective of the geography of this state. And I think that's one cheat that I have a hard time abiding by. <laughs> well, it's funny you mentioned that. I actually um, remember an exchange that you and I had back in 2012. I had posted a photo that I had taken from the top of North Eolus yep. at sunrise. And I did exactly what you just described. I, I know, stretched I it. You were going to be bringing this up today. <laughs> <laughs> I stretched like, oh, it. Oh crap. I'm going to, I'm going to eat my words right here. This is never going to make it to air. <laughs> no, man. Well, what I will, what, what I will say is that, um, you know, at the time I was a very young photographer, you know, I had, barely started taking pictures and I was not a very good photographer for the most part in, in retrospect. I would would dispute that last part there because you have some good images from that part of your career. So, well, I mean, I guess the way that I presented them at the time was super garish over the top processing, lots of saturation, HDR stretching, you know, you name it. I did it. I didn't care. I was chasing the likes and the clicks and right. attention. I wanted, I wanted to be somebody in the photography world. I, right. you know, hindsight being twenty twenty, I'm fully prepared to admit that was my motive. And what I will say is that our exchange back then on Facebook was actually very cordial. Um, in fact, I think I remember you were. So, it was basically you were like, "You stretched those mountains," and I was like, "Yeah, I did. You caught me." And then we just had a, <laughs> and then we just had a good dialogue about why we shouldn't stretch the mountains and well, let, yeah, let me ahead. speak to i'm sorry to interrupt but let me speak specifically to that image you were standing on the summit of a 14er in the heart of the womenooch wilderness at sunset sunrise great or oh it's sunrise okay even better uh <laughs> with breaking clouds all around and that wasn't enough for you I know. Isn't that stupid? <laughs> it's, it's, it's wild. I can't believe it. I mean, and, and there's another photographer that you, you and I will know who I'm talking about, who has a very big habit of doing the same sort of stretching thing where it can be the most perfect group of flowers in the foreground, incredible meadows in the midground or a reflection or whatever and a beautiful mountain peak in the background and it's that's not enough so they have to take the mountain and stretch it vertically so instead of colorado it looks like the dolomites or something right and i don't that seems like a a photographic insecurity that people should get past in their own lives 
Because if that's not enough for you and you feel like you have to do more than that, um, that's, I don't know. It, it, it just, it's just, it's one of my pet peeves. What can I say? Yeah, no, I, I will say it's 100% one of my pet peeves now also for all the same reasons you said. It's just interesting looking back because that was almost a decade ago for me. And um, at the time, I definitely felt more insecure about myself as a photographer. And I think that plays into it for people when they get that kind of criticism, they take it personally and can't necessarily, I guess, just have a conversation about it. Like, why did you do that? Most people will just deny it. Right. Um, no, I didn't. I didn't. You know, or they'll make up some excuse, you know, like it's a oh. wide angle lens. It's the wide angle lens. Yeah. That's what it is. Well, and my thing is, you know, don't piss on my leg and tell me it's raining. If, if somebody says, Hey, just a question, did you stretch the vertical or did you, re- did you replace your sky completely? Because I notice on the clouds, the sun is coming from the left, but on the mountains, the sun is coming from the right. Mm-hmm. And typically you ask a question of somebody like that online. And the next step is they block you, you know, just say, yeah, it's just my artistic interpretation. It's like, hey, that's that's cool, man. You can do whatever you want. I'm not, I'm not the landscape photography police. I just want to know what happened here and why you felt the need to do it. I'm just, I, it's just a dialogue thing. Yeah, and it's interesting. I, I've unfortunately spend way too much time thinking about this because I'm a <laughs> psychologist by training. So I, I love digging deep into people's motivations as to why they do certain things and why they say things. And it's just curious. It's interesting to me on both sides of it. You know, one, why would that type of an image elicit such a negative reaction from you? And why would you feel, and don't take this the wrong way because I do the same thing, but why would you feel compelled to say something about it? And then on the flip side of that, if it is just for art and, you know, I'm an artist and I just wanted to do something different, why get defensive about it? Why not just, you know, like why take offense to the comment? And I think when I ask those types of questions, it reveals a lot of interesting things. So I wanted to first for you to have the opportunity to answer, like when someone posts an image like that, why do you feel the need to respond? Maybe because I've been doing this for a long time and I have this underlying wish that I wish every photographer out there today started their photo career with film and no Photoshop to learn how to craft an image without the bells and whistles that are available today. And I guess that makes me opinionated about that sort of thing. You know, I can't force anybody to do something a certain way. They can do whatever they want. Sometimes I let my opinion get in the way and say something and I say less these days than I used to, I think, um, <laughs> it, because I because it never got me anywhere. But uh, I don't know. Right. It, it it just it just seems there is a difference between photography and photo art, in my opinion. And there there is a line separating those two disciplines. I didn't make the line, and it's different for everybody. So I guess when I see something over the line that's described as a straight photograph or implied to be a straight photograph, and it's clearly not, 
um, I feel compelled to say something about it. And I guess that's, I guess that's my motivation. Well, I think it's a, yeah, I, I totally get that. I think what's interesting about photography as an art and I, you know, it's interesting if you were to draw a Venn diagram of, you know, on in one circle is photography and one circle is art. I think there is plenty of overlap in the middle. Totally agree. And plenty of overlap in the middle for straight photography too. Like it's definitely possible to create art using straight fo- photographic techniques. It obviously is a lot more difficult, but I think what's interesting about photography as an art form is that, well, for starters, it wasn't hasn't always been accepted as an art form since its inception. And second, it's the only art form that exists that is directly attached to a moment, an actual real moment in time that was taken, you know, that was recorded on a device. Oh, sure. I mean, I got into photography, you know, I was the quote unquote artsy one in my family. And I started out as a kid drawing and painting and doing all that sort of thing. And then I remember looking through binoculars at concerts and going, man, if I only had a camera to just capture this, just click a button. Then I I got to thinking, you know, instead of spending all this time with this paint and these pencils and all that, I could just push a button and I'd be done. So yeah, there is that aspect of it for sure. But and and that goes also goes back to what I was saying earlier about what I love about about photography is it is capturing that moment in time, and I love that part of it. Mm. You know, it's interesting. You know, the follow up question around why do those people feel compelled to do that and then get defensive when someone points it out. I actually think that Galen Rowell figured this out already all the way back in 1998. And I'm just going to quote him really quick, quickly, but I think it perfectly illustrates your viewpoint. And I think my viewpoint as well. And what he said was that when we alter an image to draw attention to an effect that wasn't there on the original film or in the eye of the beholder, we are using the belief system inherent in 160 years of photography to create a false impression that this unusual image represents something film recorded in the natural world. To say that to say that somewhere in these remains a real vision of nature is as bogus as trying to convince someone that a counterfeit $1,000 bill created by adding zeros to a $10 bill is really okay because the original bill does represent a certain value held in trust in the national coffers. The operative word here is greed. (laughs) (laughs) Greed, wow. See, and how far do you take that sentiment, though? Because we make decisions on what we photograph by where we point the camera. What is just outside the frame that that we might not want the viewer to see that totally alters the the feel of the photograph and that sort of thing. So, so Absolutely. We, we always make choices like that. It's just, it's, it's just how far it's taken. And one of the things that, uh, that I get concerned about is when somebody juices their photos, you know, they, they turn the saturation up to 11 in spinal tap parlance, you know, and, <laughs> and, and they, they make it look like uh, a, 
a Candyland sort of image, and they end up getting hundreds or thousands of likes. Uh, you know, the public sees that, and they start thinking that that's what's really out there that they're missing. And when you have someone like me who came from the film world and didn't start out in digital and with Photoshop and altering photos to an extreme degree, um, you know, it's hard for somebody like me to be noticed uh, over the noise of all those super saturated, super altered photographs. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make me want to be that. I mean, the tools we have today are very seductive. They're, it's incredible what you can do with images now. Um, but I don't want my photos to feel like, I don't want people to look at my photos and go, I wonder if that's Photoshop. <laughs> I want them, when they look at my photos, I want them to be confident that I was really standing in that spot, experiencing the cold breeze or the warm afternoon sunshine uh, or whatever the case may be. I want them to look at my images and say, that's real. It's not a fake. Mm -hmm. I'm curious, you know, what would you say to those that say, well, just let them do their thing and you do your thing. Do you you find that as dismissive? I I've, I kind of find that to be somewhat dismissive, personally. Like I well I I when I say I agree, it's that I can't make them do anything uh, that I want them to do. I can say something about it, but it will probably not alter what they do at all. And that's up to them, because even though I made a distinction between photography and photo art, photography is still art. And you can do whatever the hell you want with it. So, yeah, maybe maybe I should never say it. Maybe no one should ever say anything to anyone. But, man, it's hard when you walk in a gallery and you see this clearly wide-angle photo of a beautiful landscape. And it's got this big honking telephoto moon hanging in the sky. And, I mean, just add a unicorn already and complete the process. You know? <laughs> Yeah, well, it's I, it's really interesting though because I struggle a lot with this particular mental exercise because on one hand, I really don't want to spend a lot of time worrying about what other people are doing, and I want to focus my energies and my efforts on myself and focusing on what I think is important for my art, whether or not it gets a billion likes on Facebook, really doesn't matter to me anymore. Right. Um, but at the same time, when I see those images, I do find myself kind of cringing and wanting to say something. But then I'm like, oh, is it worth it? Or is this person even going to? And I guess one thing I will say in your defense and in defense of this whole line of thinking, I think if you look at me, you can make a case that someone like you can make a difference in changing someone's mind. You know, like you went out of your way to make comments on my photos back in 2011, 2012. And while it pissed me off (laughs) at the time and I was offended and I got really defensive about it, you know, eight years later, I was a better photographer because of it. And that's, you know, thank you for that. Well, and I appreciate you saying that. I, I still I still contend that 
I'm not the landscape photography police. I just have an opinion. That's all it is. And maybe because, you know, there's a, there's a subset of photographers out today that have been doing this for a very long time. And I consider myself to be part of that group who started out back in the film days and went to large format and all that sort of thing. I didn't start my photography career when the, when the digital chip was invented, you know, I think there is, there is maybe a little bit of uh, arrogance there that, Hey, I've been doing this long enough. I, I think, I think my opinion, just like my, uh, my calendar publishing, maybe my opinion, I felt maybe was a little grandfathered in and, and because <laughs> I had been doing it so long, uh, I could share my opinion. Um, Photography is not the only place on this planet that I've been known to share my opinion. And I've been told that before. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's just one of those things. I'm an opinionated guy. and But as far as, as you concentrating on yourself and all this sort of thing, I'll tell you, two of my very favorite things to do in life are to share my photos with other people in some capacity. and see other people's work that inspires me as well. Yeah. Uh, I love seeing other photographers work. It doesn't have to just be landscape photography. It's photography in general. I absolutely love, I mean, go on 500 PX or one of those sites and don't click any categories. Just see what people are doing out there. And it's incredible what's out there and it's very inspiring. But while you're looking at all this stuff, you are going to encounter some things that might just drive you crazy. And that's where I find myself. Uh, that That's what gets me into my own mental trouble is, is sometimes I see it. And instead of just blowing it off and saying, hey, it's their thing, whatever, uh, I think about it. And I develop an opinion and a statement about it and that sort of thing. So... What can I say? Sue me. <laughs> well, hopefully no, no one wants don't. to. Yeah, please don't. <laughs> please, please don't do that. Um, and please, if you do consider that, don't don't drag me into it. But, yeah. uh, <laughs> Can't sue me for my opinion. I mean, you know. I guess I, part of me wonders too, though, is what I've noticed about the photos that you choose to comment on in that way is that they like you said before it is of a it is of places that you have a a high admiration of yeah. and you recognize the inherent value of what that image represents if it was presented in a more straight way that it would almost be a perfect representation of that place and the fact that they did that kind of ruined it for you you know and it's like it's almost like watching a really good movie that has a horrible ending. Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that. I, I mean, when that sort of thing happens with a photograph, I just tell myself, why? Why do that? You have, it's like a statement that I try to live by. I don't always succeed, but I try to live by the classic statement, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Hmm. You know, don't always, it's like, don't see a really, really nice scene and say, yeah, but I think there's something better just around the corner. And you end up missing the scene 
that was first presented to you. And you can say the same thing about some of the post-processing techniques and that sort of thing. You know, stick with the image that is, at least from a geographic and geologic standpoint, relatively true to reality, instead of taking it and stretching it all out of proportions to make it something that it isn't. I mean, feel free to do that. It's your photograph, whatever you want to do. I can't stop you. But that would be my suggestion to people is if you've got something as spectacular as standing on a 14 or at sunrise with breaking clouds and all that, that's enough. It really is. That's a really, (laughs) I mean, I don't have that. And I've been doing this a lot longer than you. I have not been standing on North Yolis at sunrise with breaking clouds all around. Uh, I I would be very proud of my accomplishments if I were you. And that's one of them. Yeah, well, thank you. Definitely. And I am. I just find it interesting when I look back at myself, you know, looking in the mirror, I really can only think of one reason why I did that. And it was to get more attention, you know, like I wanted to be like, I wanted my name to be up there with the people that, you know, were getting attention on 500 PX or whatever. Like, Mm -hmm. and I saw that as a vehicle to do that. And I think it's, it's like a, it's, it's like a shortcut, you know, it's, well, um, I, I have a secret for you. Well, two secrets. First of all, most people, the vast majority of people, did not know you stretched those mountains. So no harm, no foul, kind of. Uh, and secondly, that photo is so epic. That whole series of photos from that climb that you have is so epic that had you not stretched them, you would have gotten the same exact amount of attention. No, I agree. I just, um, I'm just trying to, <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to figure out for myself why I would have done that and trying to, maybe it's, maybe it's a futile exercise, but I'm trying to think maybe that's why other people do it too. But I agree. Other people just say, Oh, it's cause it's my art and leave me alone. It's like, I, I just don't buy it personally, but okay. I, I agree. I think it's chasing the clicks and trying to be like, maybe be like somebody else and all that sort of thing. I mean, we're yeah. all kind of copying those who came before us in some way anyways, but some people are doing it a little more than others. Yeah. So are you still excited about photography? <laughs> Probably more than ever. Okay. You know, Tell me about that. Gosh, I bought a, a large format camera. I, I wish I could remember the year. It was a, a Wisner Expedition camera, wooden Woodfield camera with a kit leather red bellows. You know, it was called the Expedition camera, which to me implied it was small and light and I could backpack with it. Boy, what a joke that was. It was huge. But I ended up doing a, a workshop, attending a workshop, not teaching one, with Ron Wisner uh, and George Wolf in Death Valley. I don't know, 20 early 2000s, because I went digital in 2005, maybe late 90s. And it was such an incredible experience. I remember leaving that workshop and it was the first time in a long time that it just hit me over the head like a hammer, how much I 
actually love the craft of photography. And that has stuck with me in some form since that time. And as, as the digital age has progressed, I've felt it even more strongly. You know, you've, you've, I don't know if you're one of these guys or not, but I've heard plenty of landscape photographers say something to the effect of, I didn't become a landscape photographer to spend all my time in front of the computer. Well, I actually love spending time on the computer, bringing my photos to life in some form, taking them from that raw file and making them into an actual photograph. Again, like Ansel Adams would with his deck, with his negative, he would develop it the way he wanted and have something to present to the world. And I just, I find that very exciting, very gratifying. I, I just, uh, I, a friend of mine apparently told my wife something about me that I guess I never realized, but it is true. And it's like with Todd, it's still all about the photographer, the photography for him. He still just has the same passion for it that he always did. And that's pretty much where I am. I, I mean, if photography went away today, I have no idea what I would do with my life because <laughs> it's all I know. Yeah. I don't know it all, but I know enough that it consumes my, my, it, it feeds my artistic soul. Mm. And that's very important. And doing landscape photography, I mean, my God, oh no, I have to go hiking. I have to go to work now. Hand me my backpack. Oh darn. You know, that's, I, I pinch myself almost every day at how lucky I am to be able to do what I do for a living. Yeah. I think a lot of people are envious of that. And I, I wonder too, if that's, you know, partly what drives other people to do what they do is, you know, wishing that they could get to that place in their life where, you know, they're doing this full time and, and have no worries in order to make it work. But uh, again, I would have to ask them why they do it. <laughs> right. Right. Well, and unfortunately, I can't. It's kind of funny, but I can't get those people to come on the podcast for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had you had questions for me, and I'm here. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> you know, and what I always said was when I w when I was writing reviews for the Gazette, I'll, I'd attend all these concerts and I'd photograph them, and then I'd write the review. And after I got out of that. If anybody had anything negative to say about my work, I always I always said, you know, I spent 10 years giving my opinion on other people's work. Why would I ever think that no one should have an opinion about what I do? Yeah. They're they're completely free to tell me I'm great, tell me I'm horrible, tell me I'm doing this wrong, tell me they appreciate I'm how I'm doing this. I love talking about that sort of thing with people. It's great dialogue. It's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. I, I actually, it took me a while to get there, but I actually really enjoy um, having conversations with people about my work in that way. Like, what do you see that I could have done differently or better? What should I mm -hmm. think about next time? Um, but I think that comes with, um, I don't know if the right word is, but experience, maturity. I, I don't, you know, I don't, or maybe I some think, people just don't like that. I don't know. 
I think maturity has a lot to do with it. And I don't mean personal maturity. I, I mean, photographic maturity, where you get more comfortable. You know, perhaps where you were in your photographic career, when I brought up that photo to you, maybe you you didn't really understand what I was saying until you learned more about the photographic process in general, and you you could more easily contextualize it. Well, if, yeah, no, actually, if I remember correctly, we had a pretty good dialogue on Facebook about it, and I feel like we both walked away feeling understood. <laughs> yeah, I agree. So, you know, I think that's the difference that I find that often doesn't exist is that someone there has to be two willing parties to have a conversation. Right. And un unfortunately, because of the nature of online communication, it's hard to contextualize the, the, the intent of the messenger to have a conversation versus just being an asshole. Right. You know, I, I think a lot of people assume, Oh, he said, don't stretch the mountains. That means he's a jerk. <laughs> you know? like, well, no, he wants to have I am. He you know, wants to have a conversation with you about it. Well, and, yeah. and let me tell you something. It's not just limited to photography. This drove my wife crazy over the weekend, but I maybe I made the mistake of joining this Facebook group, Where in the World in Colorado, where people post their, oh, right. their photos and let people guess where it was taken. And being a geography nerd when it comes to Colorado, I love that site, you know, but there's this this one guy who posted a picture and it's a picture you've probably seen numerous times. I've seen I maybe a hundred times. It's the view of the never, never summer range from uh, the Gore range overlook in Rocky mountain national park. Mm -hmm. It's, it's a very straightforward view. And I said, that's where it was. And he said, no. And there were all these comments. He is absolutely, I think to this, day to this minute convinced that his photo was taken of engineer pass in the san juans well, and very that, different. Uh, yeah and that uh, the the tundra below is popular with four-wheel drive uh, addicts and all that sort of thing and i mean i actually took his photo and took one of my photos of the same place and overlaid them and posted it and said it's the same place. It's not Engineer Mountain. And he wouldn't stick, he, he, he wouldn't give it up. He said, it can't be that because I wasn't there in this year. This is the year it was taken. And like, stop looking at dates, dude. Look at the photo. It, it was very obvious. And it wasn't until our mutual friend, I assume you know uh, Brent Doorsman. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It wasn't until he started posting a whole series of photos all of a sudden the photo disappeared, but it's like, just, it's okay to be wrong, but right. The old, you know, pissed on the leg, tell me it's raining sort of thing that I mentioned before. It's the same sort of thing. So it's not just photos that I'm protective of, or, or you know, photography that I'm a pr protective of the Colorado landscape. It's Colorado in general, but just because I love this state so much. Yeah. It comes from a place of love is what I'm hearing you say. Absolutely. I'm just, I'm just rainbows and unicorns, man. I'll tell you what. <laughs> uh, no, it's interesting. I often, 
I see those conversations happening like um, like on Colorado Photography on Facebook and things like that where someone will post a photo of a place that I've I'm intimately aware of that place. I've been there many, many, many times. And I think that's really what gnaws at me is if it's a place I know really well and someone posts a photo of it that's been heavily manipulated and you're like, that, that does, it doesn't look like that. Stop. Right. Don't do that. <laughs> it just triggers me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, one photographer in the Springs, I, I always said, you know, if you ever go outside and the sky looks like it does – in his photos, you better seek a bomb shelter because the world is about to end. You know? Well, I think we're talking about the same person. Yeah, I think probably so. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've gotten it into it with him quite a few times. Yeah, well, he has, he has a rabid fan base too. He does. I was just going to say, I might I might put my best photo up, and it might get maybe four hundred likes, and uh, he'll put up one of his, and he'll get. 40,000. So who am I to say, you know? Yeah. Uh, I mean, clearly giving the people what they want. Yeah. That's the, that's the weird rub about it, but kind of, kind of tells you though, what's behind it a little bit for me. Anyway, I might be making assumptions, but no, I think, I think it's pretty accurate. And, and what's incredible is this guy we're talking about is it can really be an incredible photographer. He has, he has that young eye of the tiger that I think is lacking in a lot of uh, photographers, young photographers. He's a go-getter. I just think. Uh, well, he's also incredibly nice person. Yeah. Contrary to what he said about me on Facebook, we have had a conversation in the field before and it was very cordial, but uh, I just, it's just too much. Uh, I, I'm just uncomfortable with it, but you know, he can do what he does. And he's, if, if it's clicks he's after, he's getting a heck of a lot more than me. Yeah. So maybe, maybe his philosophy is the way to, way to go. I'm, I guess I'm, I'm turning sick. everything up to 11 from this moment forward. I can't wait to see the Todd Cottle stretch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, just for fun. I can get oh, that to work fun. right after we're done. Um, but yeah, just for fun that, cause my brother and I have discussed this before and I took one of my photos from Utah and just to show him how easy it was to do that. I selected some buttes and I stretched the hell out of them. You know, they looked like something out of a, I don't know, science fiction movie movie somewhere on Mars. And, and he said, no, you didn't go far enough. And he sent me one back where, the whole thing was turned this bright red magenta. I'm like, yeah, I guess you're right. That's more accurate. <laughs> <laughs> now it's Mars. That's right. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Todd, who would you recommend we get here on the show? Well, normally I'd say, well, Jerry Greer for sure. And Jack Brower for sure. And Kane Engelbert for sure. Cause those are all photographers I love and respect a lot, but you've already done <laughs> interviews with them, discussions with them. So I would say top of my list would be Dave Showalter. I published his first book called Prairie Thunder, won the Colorado Book Award with it. It was about the Eastern Plains of Colorado. Beautiful book. He followed that up with a a book on the sage step of the the, uh, Rocky Mountain West called Sage Spirit. 
and he's currently working on a project uh, about the Green River. And uh, my wife and I, I keep saying my wife, her name's Cindy. Uh, she and I went to a presentation he gave a few months ago, and he's a really excellent, engaging speaker, very passionate about his projects. And so he would be one. Um, another photographer would be, there's a guy, I don't know if, do you know Mike Pock? I do. <laughs> you know, he, yeah. I don't know if he still does his public access radio show on photography. I, I haven't really followed it since I moved from the Springs year and a half ago, but he heads the Colorado photography learning group, but he's got this really cool project called same tree, different day. Oh, cool. Where he photographed a tree out his back porch window for an entire year. And he does speaking engagements featuring these photos and his, his uh, story about the photos is good enough, in my opinion, that you wouldn't even have to see the photos accompanying it for it to be interesting. And I should say, I haven't asked either of these guys if they were interested in talking in public, but I think they would be. I actually would. I think if it's the same guy, I really want to know how he got exclusive access to paint mines at night. Yeah, I didn't know that was exclusive, but that is exactly the guy we're talking about. Yeah. I'd also consider somebody up here in uh, the Denver area, uh, Darren White. He moved to Colorado from uh, Oregon Yeah, a few years ago, several years ago now. And yeah, Darren, really, Darren actually moved to Denver right about the same time I moved to Portland, Oregon. Okay. And so it, was a, it was an exchange program then. It was, yeah. Okay. And then I decided, I, I decided to come back. Smart move. Oregon's beautiful, but it's not Colorado. Yeah. No, I've I've known Darren since gosh, twenty fourteen, I think. Yeah, and if you wanted to do something on night photography, uh I went to a presentation of his on night photography and I I've never heard anyone better speak to the techniques involved in capturing excellent night photos. Cool, man. Yeah, I know he does workshops with um Mike Berenson. Yep. Who also has a really awesome gallery of work. Yep. I think. Yeah, and see, that's the thing. How many of these people would we never have heard of if not for the internet? Yeah, no doubt. Well, awesome, Todd. Thank you so much for um, being vulnerable for this conversation. Yeah, hey, that's okay. I, I should have asked you ahead of time. Do I look okay on the camera? <laughs> I, I mean, I cut my own hair and put on a suit and tie, and you haven't even mentioned it. I know. Well, I think your camera's not even on. You know, that could be a problem. Okay. <laughs> Right. Well, thanks to Todd for the great conversation. I have to admit, it was so great finally getting a chance to sit down and talk through these topics with him. It was almost therapeutic. Well, I have a challenge for you all. Don't be afraid to seek feedback on your images from people that have been doing this for a long time. And don't be afraid to look at yourself in the mirror and ask the tough questions as to why you made certain choices with your post-processing. If the idea of that frightens you or makes you angry, then perhaps a deeper look inside is worth trying as well. That's one of the things that I absolutely love about photography. As a craft, it has the ability to give us outlets to make us better human beings. If only you open yourself up to the opportunity. 
Well, speaking of people that are pushing me to be a better human being, I would be remiss if I did not take the time to thank our wonderful patrons over on Patreon who are keeping the show afloat with their monthly contributions. Thanks to our newest patron, Pete Barone. I appreciate you supporting what I am trying to do here with the podcast, and I hope that we continue to find ways to provide you with value. I also want to take the time to thank the people that we like to call our producers. Their generous support is really helping keep me going, and I have met many of these people and they are wonderful humans. Without further ado, thanks to Gary Randall, David Kingham, Danny LeFrancois, Jack Curran, Eric Stenslin, Jeff Peterson, Charlotte Gibb, Ken Dono, James Bakavoy, Anton Everine, Lori Berenson, William Nurse, Richard Wong, Matthias Joland, Suzanne Mathia, Frank Otto Peterson, Michael Rung, John Whitaker, Jason Clardy, Joshua Wallace, Drew Armstrong, Jim Valencourt, Drew Harbaugh, Jennifer King, Andrew Hawkins, and Craig Young. Thank you, thank you, thank you all so very much for helping me keep this thing going. Well, here is what's coming up next on the podcast. Next up, we have uh, Manuel Palacios. He is a photographer and scientist from upstate New York. I had a lot of fun with him um, talking about his passion for the Adirondacks and the link between science and art for him. I also recently recorded with Margaret Suraya. She's a photographer living in the Highlands of Scotland, and we had a really great discussion about mindfulness, slowing down, and her personal philosophical approaches to our craft. I also recorded recently with Joseph Roybel. He is a photographer from Denver, Colorado, and he does a lot of work with brands. And so we talked about what his experience has been like uh, coming up into this industry with that perspective. I will also be recording with Elizabeth Brentano, and she has done some absolutely wonderful work in Africa showcasing uh, the wildlife there and how wildlife preserves work and how how different people are trying to protect wildlife there. I'm also really looking forward to recording soon with the legend William Neal. Um, should be a really fun conversation because we'll be talking a lot about his new book, which I can say is quite wonderful. I've also booked a few others, including Bree Stockwell, David Brookover, Vicki McLeod, and many more. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for stopping in, collaborating with us, and listening. We'll see you next week.